0: My name is Will Fitzgerald and this is the Galway Film Podcast We're back Hey filmmakers, guess who's open for submissions? You can't see me of course, but I'm gesticulating wildly all around me We are The Galway Film Flaw is accepting feature film submissions until March of this year We want your films And you want to show them in Galway, right? Why premiere at a film festival when you can premiere at the Film Fla? Go to com to find out more and start thinking about that submission deadline. So uh, we're joined today by uh, screenwriter Ed Salmon. Uh, Ed, thanks for taking the time. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, you are the, the, well, not the first screenwriter we've had on the show, but possibly the first like full time, um, you know, this, I mean, this is what you you do full-time for, <laughs> for a living. I was, like, just before we started, I was kind of chatting how most people we talk to are writer-directors and things like that, like the European way of thing, working things is very different. Um, but I guess you've been working full-time as a screenwriter since, was it Bill and Ted, or was it even sooner than that? Bill and Ted was the first
1: screenplay that I was involved with that got picked up and optioned. Um, but I had been a writer for a few years before that. I worked on a television show when I was a senior in college. It was called *Laverne and Shirley*. It was on in the states. I don't know if you'd know it here. Yeah, it made it over. Here. <laughs> <SSSSSSSSSSSSSSSSSSG> uh, yeah, it was uh, a crazy ride. I had prior to that written jokes for comedians and written plays at UCLA. And a friend of mine, a comedian I, that I was writing for, Gary Shandling, who sadly is uh, now been dead for two mm. years. Yeah, sad. Um, he introduced me to a TV producer who who came to a play that I'd written at UCLA, and that guy hired me on the TV show. So I went from you know, writing jokes in my dorm room and selling them to comedians to suddenly having to be funny in rooms of really funny people, that was really stressful. (laughs) It was really complicated and hard, and uh, finishing that, it kind of took me a year or two to figure out if I really even wanted to keep writing, and I, I wrote a couple of spec scripts. And then finally, with my friend Chris Matheson, we wrote the Bill and Ted spec script, and that was 84. Wow. And then we set that up, and it took about took about three years to get it made, and then another two years to get it out
0: into the world. Wow! So this is it's so interesting because um, as well, you've like you've worked across different sort of I guess like um, quite a breadth of time in in doing this job. So I mean, now like the fact that you said you just got your first writing gig when you were in college, I mean that just doesn't happen anymore, right? <laughs> like I I can't imagine someone who's in like a a screenwriting class in college somewhere will will get taken on like in a in a TV room nowadays. Or was there even like a writing room when you joined the Vernon Shirley? Was that a thing back then?
1: Oh yeah, and and people uh, breathed air and, and drank water. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a it was a crazy writing room actually. It was a very um, it was fueled by things that at the time I didn't understand. It was fueled by I literally didn't understand just how many let's say substances were being passed around because I wasn't (laughs) involved in any of that. I was this little outsider kid that they didn't really know what to make of who was sent off out of the room to go write scenes and come back and write jokes. And, you know, I wrote a few scripts as well. It was a bizarre experience that I did not understand. Um, It's hard for me. The thing you said is true. I've been doing this... Well, the first time I sold a joke was 1979. I'm 57. My... First Joe, so nineteen seventy nine was the first time I got paid for writing. That means seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands, two thousand tens. I've worked in five different decades, which is super strange for me. Uh, in two years I will have worked in six different decades. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't um I had often I mean I try to I try to constantly think about well, how can I keep improving my work? How can I learn from my mistakes? How can I not get disappointed? How can I, you know, keep trying to do new stuff and uh and lately it's become how do you use your age as an asset not a liability in an industry that treasures youth right young writers young directors young filmmakers it's all about youth and um you know that's been my goal recently yeah and thankfully it's been working amazingly i don't know how but
0: (laughs) it has been um as well going back to that like it's um uh, you mentioned like writing spec scripts. Like that also, is that still a thing that you do if you want to get hired in a writer? Or are, are are people still looking for more, like they want you to write, um, you know, your own original properties now as like a testing ground for you as a, as a young writer? Well,
1: there's a difference between where I am and where a young writer would be. Mm-hmm. Um, where I am, it works in many different ways. You can write specs. You can listen to others' ideas. You can... Uh, pitch your own ideas there's all sorts of ways to go in currently I'm writing a movie with a director that Mm -hmm. we're shooting in March he's an amazing director from an idea of his we're co-writing original idea Um, but I also wrote a 500 page spec 10 hours of a television show a a whole season that I'm partnered with Steven Soderbergh on Mm. he directed Mosaic which is the last thing that I did which was a a limited series that was on HBO. Mm-hmm. But rather than try and go set it up, I just opted to write the whole thing, which may have been silly, I don't know, because it's in a new format. It's a it's a branching narrative story that, you know, you pick one character and follow them, and you see a whole different version of the story than if you went a whole other way. Right. So, I wrote that on spec. That's it. That took me a year and a half, and I don't know whether I'll sell it or not. I hope I do, obviously. Mm. However, if you're a new writer, you have to remember that what people are looking for is an original voice, is a voice that comes off the page, something that has life and specificity and feels like you're, you're inhabiting the mind or world of the characters. The problem I have with most screenwriting books, let's say, or courses, is they teach you the, the methodology or the more actually, they teach you the markers they think you're supposed to hit by page 11 this by page 30 this by page 45 this and so people construct their screenplays according to these roadmaps that feel and look like what they think a movie feels and looks like Mm -hmm. but they're a simulacrum you know they're like frankenstein's monster without the electrical charge they just they have all the all the pieces of a movie but something doesn't hold them together and I think it's a big mistake because we, first of all, anyone can structure a script if you try hard enough. And yes, they say, but people will say, but scripts are structure and they go, well, yes, structure is a key and inherent part of a movie script. But it's like saying a house needs a foundation. You know, you can't live in a foundation. You know, the house has to have everything. It has to, including aesthetics and including, you know, electricity and plumbing and, you know, there's a lot it needs. Uh, an audience responds way more to an imperfect piece of art that has a singular voice or an original tone than it does a perfectly structured piece of art that feels like it was made almost by a committee. Yeah. And we know it intuitively. We know when we see something. It works or it doesn't. It's a binary thing. That works. It works. It's ridiculous or it's absurd, but it... You know, or it made no sense, or it made a lot of sense, but I didn't, if you actually break it down, it doesn't. Voice, 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 voice. And how do you do, how do you do that if you're a new writer? You, you first, you just write, people say, write what you know. I don't buy that. I think it's (laughs) baloney. I think you write what you, you can start with what you know, write with what you imagine, write with what you'd like to know, or write from what you'd like to know write what gives you curiosity, go down crevices and cracks in really specific and detailed ways and tell a story about very specific human beings because it's the specifics that are general for mm-hmm. people. Studios are always saying, you know, you got to make it more general. You got to make it so everyone... And, and every time you do that, you lose the, your resonance. And every time you do that it becomes less general for some reason, you know, and they don't understand that.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think um, even people who aren't screenwriters or filmmakers are familiar with the term Save the Cat now because we all know that we're being fed the same formula um, in a lot of Hollywood movies over and over again. I haven't read the book, but it's Save the Cat. I know what it is, but is that considered a good thing or a bad thing? I think people are, have come to consider it bad that. I think for a while people considered it a good thing because it provided a very uh, yeah structured uh, formula. It was a formula that was being sold. But now I think people have turned against it because we're starting to recognize that even though we're watching a lot of different kinds of movies, a lot of them feel like the same, you know. And, and I guess they're all following the same formula.
1: Yeah. yeah, film, especially American film. I don't find this to be the case with European film as much. American film has become, you know, like an anthem that you can, you know sing along to Mm -hmm. you know the melodies even if the words are slightly different and you know what what american film used to be is now where television is which is big ambiguous interesting characters with complex histories and you know not such pat tried and true endings and it used to be television in the 70s and 80s were black and white characters you always knew who would win in the end etc and that's what movies have become and movies are are no longer uh a good place to to work, to be honest. Hmm. I'm moving almost entirely into TV, though the filmmaker I'm working with right now on this movie is a, an amazing filmmaker. So that to me is like worth doing, yeah. but I don't want to write screenplays anymore for studios where I'm listening to people who truly have no intuitive instincts mm-hmm. and are simply working off of numbers. It's, it's no fun. I mean,
0: it hasn't been fun for 20 years, to be honest. Wow. Yeah. Can you talk, talk, tell us a bit more about working in TV? Because we, I mean, here in, in Ireland, like we, and the rest of the world, we all love to consume American television. It is, we're all obsessed with it. It is, um, where some of the most amazing, um, audiovisual art is being made right now. Um, like how long ago back did you decide this is where I'm, I'm going to go?
1: I started wanting to do it about 10 or 12 years ago. And I, I was fortunately or unfortunately, I was very occupied doing, um, film stuff, and I haven't really had a chance until four years ago to start shifting over. The difference is vast. Part of it is the template that you have now is... Um, uh, it's 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 very expansive, and um, there aren't the limits that even the TV used to have, meaning you can tell a, a giant, sprawling story over 20 episodes... in a a season or you can tell it in six episodes or 10 episodes and so what we're finding is that you know different stories that have different needs can be told and we're also audiences are much more interested in complicated humans because you know people want to see art that both reflects back their experience as well as challenges them, intrigues them, teaches them about other worlds. People like to live in other worlds and explore, Mm -hmm. both empathically and out of curiosity. And so, um, you know, in a way it's market-driven, meaning people started flocking in the 70s and 80s to these blockbuster Hollywood movies. So the Hollywood movie system started to shift. And gradually, and that's when it started to destroy itself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: More and more studios wanted these so-called tent pole movies. They stopped releasing the, the. They reduced the amount of interesting, let's call them ar- arty films, or yeah. important films, which I think is pretentious and stupid, or, or you know, dramas, character dramas, um, interesting, quirky comedies, you know, things that took a risk, things that were not easily quantifiable well they started reducing those and reducing those till now they almost don't exist and as that was starting to happen audiences started to get frustrated but it took a decade or two for the business to catch up yeah and gradually when distribution platforms shifted so that you know more and more people could start watching things in different forms um both filmmakers writers directors etc who were frustrated as hell at having to do these kind of studio crap needed outlets and audiences needed these more interesting stories and so everything started to shift and continue to shift so where the film industry now is a small handful of studios it's disney which is buying fox there's warner brothers there's barely paramount there's barely sony there's got to be more <laughs> but
0: like i'm, I'm sure uh, probably not anymore <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah I, mean, I mean it's it's ridiculous, and now yeah. it's
0: just the rise of obviously Netflix is the the big yeah. you know um so you have made your fair share of blockbusters though as well um like what attracted you to those projects, or was there something about them that stood out for you you know you don't go
1: into something knowing it's going to make a lot of money or be a mm-hmm. successful film I do the, most of my career most of my life is And I don't mean this uh, in a negative way. I actually don't. It'll sound like I do. Most of my career is failure. Um, Most of my attempts don't work. Most of what I try to write doesn't sell. Most of what I sell doesn't get made. Most of the drafts that I complete aren't ready, and I have to do more drafts. And so it's easy now, now that I'm a 57-year-old guy looking at a 30, whatever my career's been, 30-some-odd-year career, Um, 35, 36, 37, I don't know, looking back and going, oh, you can sort of checkerboard or leapfrog, there's that, then that, oh, there's that. And thankfully, I've still got stuff going. So that feels now, contextually, like, oh, I've had a really successful career. But the truth is, almost all of my career has been attempts, struggles, you know, scripts that didn't quite work, movies that got made but weren't well-received, movies that got made and that weren't well received that were my fault movies that got made and weren't well received that weren't my fault movies that were some good some bad mm-hmm. and then a hit amazing and then you know yeah more struggles and then oh thankfully i've had enough hits where i can keep working because it used to be when i was younger a good script a good screenplay or, or a successful movie bought you a good fair amount of time you know when i was younger a big hit movie bought you 10, 12, 15 years of being able to be employed. Mm -hmm. Uh, As you get older, and I don't know if it's the times are different or if the shelf life is different for older writers. I believe it's more the latter. A hit just gets you your next job. It doesn't get you much longevity. A good script gets you four or five years of getting into meetings and into rooms. And maybe that's because when you're a new writer, People are forgive a lot of mistakes. They're looking again. We're talking back to new writers. They're looking for an original voice, an imperfect script that you know has a um, a fresh perspective. And they go, "Well, we can we can mold that into that person into what we think we need it to be." Or they think we can hitch ourselves to this rising star. Right. So, so the blockbusters were not something I was like drawn to to do was men in black was a fun weird quirky idea that turned out to be a a big hit bill and ted was something that we were just trying to make each other laugh chris (laughs) matheson and me had no idea it would sell and we certainly had no idea it would last culturally in the the way it did some of the other ones you know i did x-men which i took my name off of which was a really stupid move but um that one i think was setting out to be a blockbuster Mm-hmm. Um, now you see me was a job I took a, a movie that was going into production, but they really needed work on the the script, and I had to do a complete overhaul with like six weeks before production. Wow! With this amazing cast, but we had no idea that would be a hit. Um, and you know, something like Mosaic, which I just finished, which mm-hmm. I was talking about, I'm super proud of, just because it was a long, slow, arduous process. We were inventing a form, mm-hmm. this branching narrative thing. Oh, because in the States, it's it's like a branching narrative where you watch it on your phone or computer. And it's what I was talking about, that thing where you can pick a character, pick a path. But there was a second way of watching it too, which is as a regular limited series on HBO. And that's what's available here. And I think cool. it's Sky. Sky Is it yeah. Sky Atlantic? Is Sky it? Atlantic, yeah. Um, and I like both versions. But like I wouldn't have given anything... I would have given anything up and I did to do that. I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have, even though that one, we didn't even know if people would even watch at all, but it was just creatively really interesting and knowing again, knowing that I want to be doing this a long time. I'm always trying to find things that'll keep me just outside my comfort zone so I can keep improving. That's kind of my metric now. Will I be a better writer when I'm done with this than I am when I'm started? It's the only way to keep
0: competitive. Sure. And as another uh, like attraction of working in television, apart from the opportunity to take more risks and do more interesting things, like mosaic sounds really interesting in a sort of choose your own adventure kind of character kind of way. Um, is it like it seems attractive from a writer's perspective because it does seem like it? It's more of a writer's medium. Like the the showrunner um, has become in you know American television, this all powerful <laughs> like person who gets to. Um, run the show from the script as opposed to uh, in movies where we're still very focused on the director.
1: It's just the difference of the form, and it's really true. If I were starting again, if I were starting right now, first of all, I'd be thrilled. This is the best time in the world. This is the best time, certainly in quite a few generations, to be entering as a writer in performative fiction and television film or whatever it's being called now mm-hmm. because with, like with mosaic i literally did not know what we were doing meaning my friends would say what are you working on i'd say i don't know and they go ha 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 and i go no seriously i don't know i don't know what it is i it's, it's not a movie it's not a tv show it's something it's a i don't i still don't know what to call it <laughs> this 10-hour one i don't know what to call it but if i were starting again i would go into television i would write theater. And I write fiction. Why? When you're writing movies, your actions are the actions of an artist. You sit, after we're done here today, I'm going to go sit, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to work in the same way that any fiction writer would work. But when I finish what i am done, and it may take me a year or three years, or on and off for five years, Mm -hmm. or who knows, I, I turn it in, or I show it to people, and a few people will read it, Maybe a hundred if you're really lucky, or if the movie's getting made, two hundred. But it'll either sell or won't sell. If it sells, people will start giving me notes. I could get fired. Other people could write on it. You, the director takes it. The director goes, "I like this, don't like this." Depending on the type of actor, some actors in movies they'll just kind of ad lib. Point I'm making is. It used to be really fun if your movie was getting picked up. I mean, the idea of walking on set and seeing, oh my God, they built a cafe because I named it this and described it as that. That was a great experience. But at the end of the day, it kind of is soul crushing. It's actually not, for me, something I could sustain anymore. Mm-hmm. Getting to write your and, and having the words you wrote be the thing that people read or the thing that people say and therefore what people see, I think is a much better way of living, even if it's, you know, regardless of financial remuneration. I mean, my life, I've never made it taken a, taken a job because it was for money. I often run out of money because not because (laughs) of my spending habits, although I think my accountant would think otherwise, but I mean, I don't have an extravagant life but I'll run out of money cuz I'll spend 2 years working for no money on something that I really care about that doesn't sell. Right. And my feeling is always as long as there's enough money coming in where I can, you know, make my kids, you know, pay for their meals and their school and keep my rent in my apartment, etc. I'm okay. You're happy. Yeah. And my goal now is Get another 20 years of that, you know, and some savings so that I can finally retire and move somewhere like Galway. <laughs>
0: Please do. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be a, a seat at Noctons with your you.
1: <laughs> I would like that. That would be really fun. Although I don't know if I can, um, I don't know if I can, I'm going to have to pace myself better than I did yesterday. <laughs> yeah, <already>. <laughs> <laughs> you might hear it in my voice. Yeah. Uh, I think,
0: uh, the fans at the Bill and Ted, uh, Q&A at the Father's this year got some really, some bang for their buck. Uh, oh, it was uh, so, so much right. fun.
1: That was a blast. I, I, um, if
0: you, I, if I could take
1: the audience out for a drink every time I, I would I don't think I could afford to do that but it was certainly a ton of fun yeah we we did a, we started the Q and A and people were asking questions and we were running out of time in the theater so we went down to the bar and literally everyone came it was great it was really super fun that's amazing
0: that's that's the experiences we like to we like to have here
1: oh I had a great time it really made my my night. It was it made the trip. It was wonderful fun for me.
0: Great. I'm great really glad to hear that. Um just while we're on Bill and Ted, um it's obviously in the news that we're gonna get another. Um are you working on that right now?
1: We're working on it. Yeah. We're you know, we're as close as we've ever been on it. Um there was a thing where apparently Keanu said, I don't know what's happening with it. Because the the truth is we have it set up, we have our financing, we have a distribution with with MGM deal, we have a director, of producers there are still contract things to be worked out uh we are super close and it looks like we're shooting in february you know i I've, the problem is we keep getting up to the altar and then when they say you may now kiss the bride they pull up the veil and it's just a skeleton that <laughs> dissolves into dust but <laughs> but i feel like we're we're there and we'll know for sure really soon so and i'm hoping and we're all acting as though it's happening because it seems like it is so Okay. that's something we've been working on for 10 years. And when you talk about writing on spec, I wrote with Chris, Chris Matheson, I wrote it on spec. Oh. Um, even though there's only one buyer, which is the people that own it, which, <laughs> yeah. which is MGM. You so you not have a choice there. No, there was it was a dumb thing to do. If you're trying to make a business move, we could have made so much more money if we set it up. You know, if we pitched it, mm-hmm. got hired to write it, but we wanted to do it correctly, creatively. Yeah. Which is part of the problem we're having because we have a different point of view than than the people that own it on what the movie okay. should be. So is this kind yeah.
0: of? I mean, talking about going back to what you were saying in the beginning about um, trying to keep yourself young, and you know, is this like going back to kind of your first feature? Um, is that an exercise in this in any way, or is oh, it? It's an interesting in question.
1: I want to be clear. I'm not trying to keep myself young. <laughs> no, seriously, yeah. I want my age to be an asset. This is a very very yeah. different thing. I want. I am actually. And I actually met with my agents about 12 years ago and I said, okay, you guys are going to say some stuff you're not going to want to hear. I'm going to be older. And then I was in my mid-40s. I'm like, I'm going to be 50 soon. Uh, I'm not going to fake it. I don't want to fake it. I don't want you guys to like try to pretend I'm younger than I am. I want to, you got to get me into some rooms that I wouldn't normally get into because I need to be working on things that it takes a grown-up to write. Even if I reduce my fee and or don't get paid anything at all. I need to diversify. I can't be just the comedy guy or the sci-fi comedy guy. There's nothing more pathetic than somebody just trying to continually rehash the same old thing. Mm. We didn't work on Bill & Ted in since 92. We hadn't done any Bill & Ted related stuff. But once we we started thinking, what, what if we revisited these guys that we love so much as teenagers? It's not about youth. It's the opposite. It's about what happens when, as a kid, you're told you're going to be the greatest people who ever lived, and you're going to write a song that's going to save the world, and now you're 50, Mm. and it hasn't happened, and suddenly somebody shows up and says, where is it? If it's not going to happen now, it's never going to happen. What does that mean about you and your life, and what do you do about that? So it's the opposite of that. Okay. I'm, you know fortunately i don't have to dig around in the you know in the in the um in the drawers you know for old material trying to rehash that's the absolute opposite of what this is about this was mm-hmm. like characters we loved that whose essences we loved to live inside they were right. really fun to inhabit these characters who we thought wow there's more story to tell that could be really meaningful to us and make us laugh, but also be a fitting end to this arc that spanned my whole career. And I hope it doesn't obviously end my career. (laughs) That would not be good, but end to this particular arc, you know, and also allow a next generation, like they have daughters in the the movie and sort of allow the next generation to maybe take over from Alex and Keanu to, that's how we would like to do it. The uh, studio would like to maybe reboot the franchise, starting fresh oh with young God, Bill and Ted's, no. and we're saying, let us finish the story of, of old Bill and Ted, yeah. and give you, you know, young, women in this case to, take the next step, yeah, and that's where the schism is between what we're trying to do and what the studios wanting to do, and that's where, we keep having the friction, but we're we're getting closer.
0: Yeah. Well, oh, I'm really excited for it now. That just sounds like an amazing. Uh, I appreciate take. it. And everything that I want to see in, you know, um, I guess, continuing franchises, uh, you know, like you said, diversifying um, the leads, passing it on um, as opposed to rebooting. It's uh...
1: Well, there's always the question, how do you do a sequel or a series of sequels? And I think you have to look at the paradigm of the franchise, whatever the franchise is, and understand what its organic nature is. Because some franchises, Indiana Jones... He doesn't change, and he shouldn't change, and when they try to make him change, the movies aren't as good. Some are, so those are a certain type of story. Now we're going to see the same character in a new adventure, and he's going to be basically the same at the beginning as he is in the end. We didn't, we never thought of Bill and Ted as being a franchise, so when it was successful, when, when we went to do a second one, there was a lot of pressure on us to do a, um, a rehash, you know, they go to a different history. They have another history test, and they go to four new places. Or, well, what if they have an English test and they go to a they go into books, and that felt like the same movie. Ultimately, it was still kind of a time travel movie, whether they're going to hang out with Huck Finn and Raskolnikov, or I'm just making stuff up. But like whatever that is, it still was very similar, mm-hmm. and it didn't feel right to us. So we decided for the sequel, which was Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey what if we just kill him and send him to hell and heaven that made us laugh and we thought well that's different really different so this is not and also because we're coming in 30 years later now it's a whole different feeling it's some movies are designed to have a series of films like the um what's it called mocking I can't believe I'm spacing on it, but, you know, like the, Hunger yeah, Games, you know? Hunger Games, yeah, yeah, Hunger Games, or even Star <clears throat> Wars, or, you know. The ones that are tricky is when something is a surprising hit, so then they try to redo it. That's that's where you gotta be a little careful, mm-hmm. you know? Now You See Me was that way. I don't think we, you know, it wasn't really designed to have a sequel. So, um, when we did the second one, it was a complex experience creating a second chapter of it that didn't, you know, sure. That didn't have, um, that seemed fresh. Yeah.
0: One last question. Uh, Cause you mentioned that, um, you know, you think now is like, cause there's never been a better time if you want to be a writer and to get into the game. Um, but do you also think that it's possibly not the most competitive time also to be trying to break into this, uh, like the market of film and television writing?
1: Well, you have a lot of people trying to get in, but you also have a lot of people needing material. Mm-hmm. It's still expanding. It's still the wild West in a certain way. It's still a seller's market, so to speak. The real issue is not is the market receptive to you. It's mm-hmm. is your work as good as you think it is. That's the issue which will always be an issue. It's just like, you know, there it's easy easier to distribute stuff. It's easier to make stuff. You can you can shoot a movie on your phone. You're holding in your hands the means of Production and distribution. And you can, you can make a movie on your phone. You can edit it on your computer. You can distribute it from your phone and your computer. You can do that. Mm-hmm. So why aren't there a million great shows and movies from new filmmakers? Right. The reason is the real hard thing is not getting your stuff out there into the world. It's not distribution. It's not even getting your stuff everybody thinks the hard thing is getting your stuff seen by the right people the hard thing is having the courage discipline self-reflection empathy compassion for other humans and yourself and to dig into yourself come up with a story that is meaningful to you Work the story. Rework the story. Get it out. Properly assess what's working and not working about it. Clearly. Really, really hard thing to do because you're using the same brain that designed the story to criticize the story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Figure out what you need to do. Keep working it. Know how long to stay working on it and how long to, and when to step away. And then doing it again and again and again until finally your work has that quality that separates it from other work doesn't mean stru- it's structured better than anyone else's script it means it sings it comes alive it has a voice it has its own power its own energy and that's what makes it rise above the clouds
0: right
1: and what happens then is the giant behemoth that is ever expanding right now that is searching for material plucks it out finds it the issue is not that you're sitting on a great script that no one can read because you don't know the right people the issue is you're not first of all you're not continuing to create stuff we're never I'm never as good as I would like to be or as I think I am a draft I finish feels really good but that's because it feels good to finish something it's rarely what I was hoping it would be It takes a lot more work than people understand. Um, Again, I don't want to take too much of the time, but I yeah, yeah, yeah. I will often do a thing when I when I go talk to a film school or or young writers, or at a conference. I will go, hey, I just want to get a sense of the room, and I'll look around. Maybe there's twenty five people in the room. I'll say, I just want to know you're all writers, right? You know, because I'm in a writing class. and I'll raise their hand. Okay how long just on average does it take you from original idea to this is the best script ever and it's ready to shoot and i go around the room and i'll ask you know and someone will say eight weeks someone will say three months someone will say 10 weeks in in general it's between three weeks and like four to five months Hmm. i've never had anyone say more than four or five months which feels like, you know, a legitimate amount of time to write a script. Maybe a little longer if people are working part-time. And then I'll say, okay, great. Um, now I need you all to stand up. And all stand up and move to the side. And they I'll move to the side. And I'll come up to the stage or come up to the front of the room. They'll come up to the front of the room. I'll go sit in the classroom in the chairs. And I'll sit there and I'll go, okay, you guys need to tell me how you do it. I've been doing this 35 <laughs> years. It's it takes me three times as long to write a screenplay as it takes any of you. So you're obviously have all the ideas and are way more talented and know way more than I do. So tell me you guys teach this and people were like, okay, I get it. You could have just told us that you didn't have to make a stand up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, I could have, but you wouldn't have heard it. You know, it's harder than you think. And by the way, it doesn't mean it's torture. hmm and I think writers that are like, oh, it's torture. Oh, we're getting it out of me. That's a, it's just as indulgent. And it's just as foolish as, oh, it's easy. You just write what comes to mind. That's the other end of the, you know, mm-hmm. in, you know BS, self-indulgent spectrum. It doesn't have to be torture. It can be joyful and painful and, you know, difficult and easy and thrilling and boring. It's all those things, that's part of the whole journey of it. In fact, it can be very a very delicate process. The hard part of the process is clearing the space for yourself, both physically, finding a space that physically you can write in where you won't be interrupted and where you can focus, and emotionally, where you kind of clear your head of all that other noise, which will allow you to follow your curiosity follow the muse whatever you want to call it recognize a good idea because the good idea that people think they come like giant with 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 clouds parting and the chorus of angels singing and lightning and thunder inspiration but it's not that it I mean sometimes you'll have a big idea but for the most of for the most of the process you're just following little notions you know that are very hard to hear sometimes so you've got to make sure that your 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 um, your instruments are fine enough to pick that up and go oh there it is over there and you follow that curiosity around the corner and pursue it to the next thing and the next thing that process takes a long time It's harder work. It doesn't have to be painful work, as I said, but Mm -hmm. it's all process. People get so result-oriented. Like, I got to get it finished. I got to get it finished so I can get it to an agent, so I can get it to a producer, so I can get my career going, so I can quit my day job, whatever. Yeah. Or when you're doing it for a living only, like I do, it's it's like, got to get this done, got to get this out. That mentality just destroys it. It's just like, keep working, work as hard as they can, Working hard doesn't mean <clears throat> gritting your teeth and clenching your you know clenching your muscles and yeah. you know it just means focusing, concentrating, working, having patience, working it, reworking it, continuing, it, and becoming in love with the process itself because that's all you have is process the result happens very rarely, and once it does it's past you as soon as it happens um, yeah. your script is this a, you know, just this emerge, this, um, this, uh, what's the word? This morphing, constantly evolving thing that mm-hmm. you're trying to just keep honing and refashioning until it, you can no longer make it better. And then it's done and you keep going to the next thing. And that process is what I love. And that's what my whole life is. And that's why I don't watch the movies usually, or at least not after I've seen them once or twice at a screening or something. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't, um, I try hard not to um, get too, I try not to let myself get, dis- you, you can't help but be disappointed when something doesn't sell or doesn't work or, or gets released and is bad. It's, it's very, very, very painful. I mean, I'm not let's not kid ourselves. But I try to just take that blow, see if I learned anything from it, and just keep going, you know? Every day, every day. Just go sit and write. I'm going to go sit and write. I have my notebook here. Yeah. And, you know, with no idea of what's going to happen to any of it.
0: It's exciting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, On that note, uh, Ed Solomon, thanks very much for talking to us. Thank you. That's our show. The Galway Film Podcast is produced by Grease on Demand Skillnet Training. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on iTunes. While you're there, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, of which we'll have another just next week. Until then, I'm Will Fitzgerald. Slán go all.